Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This job position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets such as Facebook and Twitter, music streaming providers Spotify, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, CastBox.fm, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, then Anchor.fm and Patreon.com is where you can find me. Just search under Ross's FanCast. On the World Wide Web at RossBliley.com is where all my episodes are uploaded. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of FilmMusic.io. Thanks for your support, and I always appreciate feedback. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you all about it. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. So download the free Anchor app now or go to anchor.fm to get started. He led a band of brothers no one knew for six seasons in 1961. He forever changed how the position of quarterback was played in the National Football League after getting beat up and bloodied in a preseason game against the historic Chicago Bears. 
He set NFL records in passing yards, completion, and passing touchdowns that stood for 17 seasons after his retirement in 1978. He led the lauded Purple People Eaters to three Super Bowl appearances in four seasons in the mid-1970s. He played 18 years of hard-nosed professional football and won the Burt Bell Award in 1975. This is Pigskin Tales, the story of Francis the Scrambling Man Tarkenton. Francis Asbury Tarkenton was born in Richmond, Virginia in 1940. His dad, Dallas Sr., a Pentecostal minister and associate professor of science at Oxford College, moved the family from Washington, D.C. to Athens, Georgia when Francis was 11 years old. To make friends, he joined in some boys playing sports at the Athens YMCA. When he was 12, he joined the Summer Little League team. By the time he was a freshman in high school, he played shortstop and pitcher in baseball, point guard in basketball, and was the starting quarterback on the football team. Don Rhodes, a homeroom classmate and baseball teammate, said of Tarkenton's athletic ability, He was a better pitcher than football player. He had a fastball that nobody could hit. As the starting pitcher for the baseball team, he won all nine of his starts and had five no-hit games. By the time he graduated from Athens High School, Tarkenton was on the all-state rosters of football, basketball, and baseball. He was also being heavily recruited to play college football. It only took one person to convince him to pick Georgia University in 1958. His former Little League coach and mentor, Big Jim Watley, an assistant coach for the Georgia Bulldogs baseball team, took him aside, sat him down, and said, You need to go to Georgia. That was it. No explanation needed. Although, Tarkenton actually explained the brief conversation in an interview with the University of Georgia football team newspaper. Georgia was terrible in the 50s. Go back and look. Had no coaches, no organization. Wally Butts was on his last legs. He'd stopped coaching. The great Frank Boyles was recruiting me for Tech, and I was going to go there. But Jim Watley was a big man with a bigger-than-life personality. He was a great baseball and football player at Alabama, coached our baseball team at Georgia. And so he came over and sat me down. You need to go to Georgia. I said, if you say so, Coach Watley, that's what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what he did. He played college football as quarterback at the University of Georgia from 1958 to 1960. It wasn't until 1960 that he became the starter. From there, his athletic career blossomed into something quite spectacular. In the late 1950s, almost all college football teams utilized platoons. This means that if you played offense, you also played defense. And that was certainly the case for Tarkenton and the Georgia Bulldogs. Since Tarkenton technically was not the starting quarterback, he played mostly second-team quarterback behind Charlie Britt. I'll actually let Scramblin' Fran explain it to you. Officially, the whole year of 59, I was the second-team quarterback. But on our team, I played 90% of the offense and 10% of the defense. 
and Charlie played 10% of the offense, and that's how it worked out. Charlie was more of a defensive guy. He became a very good safety man and went to pro football as a safety man. In three seasons with the Georgia Bulldogs, Fran Tarkenton played in 30 career games, passed for 2,100 yards, threw 18 touchdowns, picked off 20 times, and completed 58.7% of his pass attempts. Add in 10 rushing touchdowns, and now you have an emotional athletic leader who has made the Associated Press All-American team and guided the University of Georgia to an SEC championship in 1960. Tarkenton's next level was with one of the newest expansion teams in the NFL. The Minnesota Vikings drafted him in the third round of the 1961 draft. At this time, John F. Kennedy was the President of the United States. The Russians were battling against the Americans to see who could win the race into space first, and country singer Patsy Cline released her single, Crazy. Tarkenton was one of 33 draftees to be selected to the Minnesota Vikings that year. They also added former number one draft pick by the Baltimore Colts in 1955, George Shaw, for veteran leadership at quarterback. Vikings ownership hired Norm Van Brocklin to be the head coach. If you listen to my podcast on Norm Van Brocklin, then you know what happened between coach and rookie. If you have not yet, then I will tell you that Van Brocklin was very tough as a head coach. He had no experience coaching, but he had a winning pedigree and wanted to share his high intelligence of the passing game with those rookies just coming into the league. In a YouTube video about the history of the Minnesota Vikings, Van Brocklin explained what he thought he was supposed to do to start a new franchise in the National Football League. I've never had a failure in my life before, and to try and take an expansion team from the start, getting everybody's rejects, and I was so headstrong, so confident in myself, I thought, I could do it. When you have an expansion team, you get all these people in the expansion and try to make a living with them. The only bad thing about Van Brocklin's overly aggressive style of coaching was that he burned a lot of bridges with people whom he barely knew. Tarkenton said himself that Van Brocklin almost broke him. Van Brocklin almost destroyed me as a human being. It wasn't about scrambling. It wasn't about that at all. It was just about his personality. He had conflicts with every human being he came in touch with, and he fueled it even more so that you cannot win with a scrambler. With a bunch of nobodies that were talented, Tarkenton led the Vikings to 29 wins in their first six seasons. In 1967, Tarkenton had had enough butting heads with Van Brocklin. He asked general manager Jim Finks for a trade, and soon thereafter, he headed to the New York Giants to relieve the colorful Joe Namath, who had already won a Super Bowl with the Jets, but he could not make it with the Giants. Tarkenton spent five seasons with the Giants, but did not win any championships or Super Bowls. Meanwhile, general manager Jim Finks and the Vikings brought in a new head coach from the Canadian Football League, drafted Joe Cap, who also played in the CFL as a starting quarterback, and ended up winning three games that first season. In a YouTube interview about the first season he played in New York, Tarkenton said, That team in New York, 
The first year I was there, we finished 7-7. Seven and seven. That was the finest accomplishment of any of my 18 years of professional football. It was a ragamuffin of a team that played hard. They had heart. They had soul. Allie did such a great job with that team. And for us to be 7-7, seven and seven, that was like being 14-0 with any other team. It was the best year of any team that I played on. In five seasons with the Giants, Tarkenton played in 69 career games. His win-loss record was 33-36. He threw 13,905 yards, 103 touchdowns, 72 interceptions, and completed 55.4% of his pass attempts. To compare the numbers, in the five seasons without scrambling Fran, Minnesota went 46-21-3. This is interesting because it seems that the trade between Minnesota and New York worked out for both teams. For Tarkenton, his experience only became better as time progressed in the National Football League. In 1972, General Manager Finks brought Tarkenton back to Minnesota for two extra draft picks. That proved to be a good move as the Vikings began to excel in winning games. The team under Bud Grant solidified and the defense was nicknamed the Purple People Eaters. In Tarkenton's first season back, the Vikings went 7-7. Seven seven. The next year was one of the best seasons the Vikings had ever had. They tallied 12 wins, were defeated twice, but were able to take down the Dallas Cowboys for a trip to Super Bowl VIII against the defending Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins, whom went undefeated the season before. The Vikings played in their second Super Bowl on January 13, 1974. That was my dad's 27th birthday. My parents had been married for five years and were teaching in Mackville, North Dakota. I can only imagine how excited my dad was that the Vikings were playing in their first Super Bowl since Tarkenton's rejoiced return. And I can only imagine how talkative he was with his fellow teachers at school and the student athletes he coached in football. I can only imagine how he was trying to explain to my mom that this team of nobodies that Fran Tarkenton, also known as the Scrambler, was the best quarterback in the NFL and he was going to be the guy to win the Super Bowl for the Vikings. Bud Grant was going to go down in Vikings history as the greatest coach ever. I could only imagine my mom thinking to herself, what's the big deal? It's just a game. For us casual fans who watch every Sunday, it's not just a game. It's a passion that takes a hold and makes you glued to the television to see how it turns out. In the end, we're all just a little disappointed. We discuss with each other what-if scenarios, but it never happens. On that cold January day in 1974, the game was played at Rice Stadium in Houston, Texas. It couldn't have been the 47 degrees outside that the Vikings had a rough time against Bob Greasy and the Dolphins that day. It was the two costly turnovers that helped head coach Don Shula of the Dolphins manhandle the Vikings to a 24-7 victory and raise back-to-back -back Lombardi trophies. After the loss, Tarkenton and the Purple People Eaters vowed to return to the big game the next season and win the Lombardi trophy for themselves. 
In the 1974 season, Tarkenton, at age 34, could still sling the ball. Under the leadership of Bud Grant, he threw for almost 2,600 yards, went 10-4 in their division, and secured a playoff spot. Sophomore running back Chuck Foreman and the Vikings offense ranked 5th in scoring that year. On defense, they ranked 3rd, but the secondary took a big hit when star defensive back Bobby Bryant dealt with too many injuries that kept him sidelined. Safety Paul Krause did what he could to ensure the secondary was still in the game. In the playoffs, the road to Super Bowl IX in New Orleans to be played at Tulane Stadium, the Vikings beat the St. Louis Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams to get to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The steel curtain of the Steelers proved to be too much for the Purple People Eaters as Pittsburgh cruised to a 16-6 win in an ugly game for the Vikings. Their only points came off a blocked punt recovered for a touchdown. In 1975, the Vikings had the best win-loss record in the National Football League at 12-2, but lost in the divisional round to the Dallas Cowboys on a last-second 50-yard Hail Mary pass, 17-14. Star quarterback Fran Tarkenton was named the league's most valuable player that season and finished second in passer rating with 97.1. He threw for 2,994 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. In 1976, the Vikings still with Tarkenton and Bud Grant played exceptionally well and ended the regular season with a mark of 11 wins and 3 losses. Entering the playoffs with the best record in pro football, the Vikings took on the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship round and won 24-13. In Super Bowl XI, played in Pasadena, California, the Vikings with Scrambling Fran took on the Oakland Raiders led by video game legend John Madden. It was their third trip to the Super Bowl in four seasons and the Vikings, team members, coaching staff, and fans all wanted a win. In the end, it was Oakland who dominated the game. The Purple People leaders could not stop Kenny Stabler and Fred Belitsnikov. The Raiders set a rushing record against the Vikings, netting 429 total yards. It was unbelievable for both teams. Oakland had been so dominant in the AFC for decades, and the Vikings had been dominant in the NFC for a few years in a row. Both teams wanted that Lombardi Trophy so bad, but in the end, Oakland wanted it so much more than the Vikings. For the fans of the Vikings, it was another disappointment to suffer through. Three trips to the big game and cannot win it. All we can do is shake our head and throw our hands up to say, what the heck? In 1978, Scramblin' Fran retired from professional football. He ended his playing career by setting records in passing yards, completions, touchdowns, and rushing yards by a quarterback. Statistics researched online at profootballreference.com show that Fran Tarkenton threw 47,003 career yards, 342 career touchdowns, 266 career interceptions, ran the ball for 3,674 yards, and 32 touchdowns, completed 57% of his pass attempts. 
He made nine Pro Bowls, was named League MVP once, and was the Burt Bell Award recipient in 1975. The only thing he couldn't do in his professional football career was win a Super Bowl. I'm not faulting him for this fact, but it is a tough pill to swallow after following the Vikings for such a long time. Following his retirement, Tarkenton was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1986, the College Football Hall of Fame in 1987, and the Minnesota Vikings Ring of Honor in 1998. He also invested in some small business opportunities and formed several small companies, one of which is known as Tarkenton Companies. According to the company website, its mission is to service the small business owner and entrepreneurs through consulting, software, education, training, and advocacy. Today, Fran Tarkenton is heavily involved in Tarkenton Companies as well as Tarkenton Financial as Chief Executive Officer. In my opinion, Fran Tarkenton was a solid pick for the Vikings. His stats alone prove that he was the right man to lead the Vikings in 1961 and 72. It's too bad that he couldn't win a Super Bowl in the 70s because he led a very good team to a lot of wins. Even though the startup team didn't win many games, it was the fact that he was still able to take a ragamuffin of a team and try to make something good out of it. Established teams back in the 60s were tough to beat considering they had already the best coaching staff and the most talented players. No one knew who the Vikings were. However, 29 wins in six seasons isn't actually that bad. I think a lot of fans would agree that Fran Tarkenton is one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in all of the Minnesota Vikings history. Thank you for listening to Pigskin Tales, the story of Fran, the scrambling man, Tarkenton. This story was written by Ross Bliley, your host of Ross's FanCast, edited by Nicole Bliley. Sources of information were found online at Tarkenton.com, DogNation.com, backslash, football backslash, team news, ProFootballReference.com, AmericanFootballDatabase.com, SportsReference.com, BleacherReport.com, OxfordHistoricalSociety.com, onlineathens.com, thepeoplehistory.com, thesportsnotebook.com, thevikingsteentimeline.com, and nfl.com backslash superbowl backslash history. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Ross's Fancast. Visit my website at www.rossbliley.com Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.